0: Well, good morning, Mafra Community Church. It's a privilege again to bring God's Word to us this morning. It would be uh, lovely to do this in person, but uh, obviously we can't do that just yet. Hopefully it won't be too long. Let's just pray before we come to God's Word. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that you made the world and all that is in it. You created us. You know our hearts. You know each one this morning. And we pray that you will speak to each of us through your word. Your word is truth, and uh, we thank you that you reveal yourself to us through it. May we see you this morning as the judge, and also as the merciful, the gracious. And we thank you, Lord, for what you've done for us in Christ, and his death on the cross. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, well we've been preaching through Isaiah for the last couple of months, uh, and we're up to chapters 34 and 35, so um, this is not a passage I would have chosen uh, myself, probably, if I was uh, choosing, um, but it's where we're up to, and so uh, being faithful to the text, we continue on through it. These two chapters uh, need to go together, uh, it would be quite um uh, unkind to just give you chapter thirty four without thirty five they they're they 're very strikingly different chapter thirty four is 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 terrible it 's an awful chapter uh, It speaks of bloodshed of destruction vengeance uh, even the destruction of of the earth um, and, the, and the whole universe chapter thirty five then is a, a wonderful chapter. it speaks of overcoming fear and weakness. Uh, of healing the blind, the deaf, and the paralyzed. It speaks of life and joy and singing. So these two passages uh, uh, need to go together. Um, we have judgment in one, and we have uh, joy and mercy and grace in the other. And um, and that's that's the story of the whole Bible. That's the story of uh, the the world that God has made. Um, this. Chapters, these chapters, like all of Isaiah, are written in poetic form, um, but, but judgment and salvation are very real. They're real events um, that have happened along the way, and that will happen, um, and you and I will be involved in these these events. And um, and chapter 34 in particular, and 35 speak of the final judgment. Um, so, just a little bit of background. First, to remind you where we've come from, Isaiah was a prophet of Judah. Uh, That means he's a messenger of God. He began his career in 740 BC when there were threats to Judah from nations surrounding them. And basically his message is, is this. His message is God is the ultimate ruler over all the nations. That God, or Yahweh, the Lord, will bring judgment and destruction upon the nations for their rebellion against him. And also that he will rescue a remnant, a remnant who will enjoy his blessing forever and live under his reign, um, Isaiah uh, and his wife had two sons, and it's interesting to look at the names of their sons in the in the midst of this passage here um, that the The names of his sons relate to the overall gist of the, the, the message of Isaiah, and particularly also to these passages here. When we named our children, we were quite deliberate in naming them. Our firstborn is Micah, means gift of God. Noah means peace or rest. And Caleb means wholehearted. And uh, there's a double meaning behind that as well. That relates to his, his story, which I won't go into now, some of you know. Um, Isaiah was very deliberate in naming his children. And um, probably not names that we would give our children, but the the first one was called Mahal Maha Shalal Hashbaz. Uh, in chapter eight, verse one, we see that, and that means speed the spoil, hasten the prey, and this is the theme of chapter thirty four that we're we're reading this morning. And then the second child Isaiah had was Shear Jashab. In chapter 7 of Isaiah verse 3, we see that, and that means a remnant shall return. And this is the theme of chapter 35. And these uh, two names of his children are the theme of the whole of Isaiah. But um, you might ask, you know, what, what's this got to do with us? This was written two and a half thousand years ago to a nation in the Middle East. Um, what has it got to do with us today? And yes, that is true. It is. It was written back then, and and you know it was written to uh, to Judah and to in relation to other nations around them, nations like Babylon, Assyria, Egypt, the great superpowers of, the, of his day, um, which we we know so much about through archaeology. Um, but the the Isaiah is is God's word to us. It's one part of a st- of the whole story from beginning to end. We see in the Bible uh, and and the events that we're reading about here fit into God's overall plan for for salvation his overall plans to to bring about uh justice and and mercy um to to his people and um the the st- the passage that we're reading today is um really speaks about uh, a time that is yet to come as well um it speaks about the final judgment, and it speaks about uh, God's great plan of salvation, which was um, set up from the from the beginning of time. So I hope that as we go through, you'll see that it's not just a not just speaking about events two and a half thousand years ago, but it is speaking to us today, in two thousand twenty Australia. So let's uh, let's make a start. So I'll read through it and we'll um, comment on it as we go. So chapter 34 starts off Draw near, O nations, to hear, and give attention, O peoples. Let the earth hear and all that fills it, the world and all that comes from it. Note the extent of the message. It's to all the nations, all peoples, all the earth. Much of what we've seen in Isaiah has been a message to individual nations, say Babylon or Assyria, Egypt, Cush, Moab, Philistia, Tyre, Jerusalem, these specific nations. But this passage speaks of judgment in a more universal term. And it speaks of uh, redemption in universal terms too when we get to chapter 35. It's a, it's a foreshadowing the final judgment on all nations. And we'll see that more as we go through. Uh, even though it speaks. Of Edom specifically, and we'll see that Edom is actually representative of all who oppose Yahweh uh, the Lord and his purposes. <clears throat> so let's keep going. So verse from verse two For the Lord is enraged against all nations, and furious against all their hosts. He has devoted them to destruction, he's given them over for slaughter. Their slaying shall be cast out. And the stench of their corpses shall rise; all the mountains shall flow with their blood. This is not fun. This is this language is is very graphic and horrible. This is this is a terrible passage. Uh, it's a description of what will happen, and it serves as a warning to those who are opposed to Yahweh and His purposes. I, I don't know if you've noticed, but something that occurred to me a little while ago as I was reading through the Bible and particularly through the Old Testament, the Bible is far more graphic in its predictions of destruction than its actual record of, of destruction and what happens. God spends far more uh, time in, in, in this graphic language in, in warning His hearers than in the actual record when, when judgment does happen. Um, see, God is gracious he, he must judge, yes, but He's gracious to warn and to give time for repentance. It says in Psalm 1115, it says, The Lord tests the righteous, but his, he, his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. God hates violence, um, but He must judge it. He must bring it to an end, and that is going to involve uh, bloodshed and suffering. He says in Ezekiel 33.11, Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. See, God doesn't take pleasure in these things. And his main desire, his heart's desire, the, the, the ultimate goal is that people would turn from their evil and experience life and blessing from Yahweh. So then uh, we we move on and not only will people die, but the universe itself will be destroyed. God has appointed an end for this universe. In verse 4, All the host of heaven shall rot away and the skies roll up like a scroll. All their hosts shall fall as leaves fall from the vine, like leaves falling from the fig tree. It's obvious that this is talking about the end of the world, which hasn't happened yet, even in our times, obviously. These are similar words to what The Apostle Peter wrote 800 years later, where he says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. This is a time that's coming. This is how the world will end. We know this because it's written in Scripture. God has told us. Isaiah then turns to a specific nation called Edom. So let's look at that in verse 5. For my sword has drunk its fill in the heavens. Behold, it descends for judgment upon Edom, upon the people I have devoted to destruction. Now we need to have a a bit of a look at who Edom was. If you go back 1,300 years to 2,000 BC, there were two brothers, Jacob and Esau, sons of Isaac, Isaac was the son of Jacob. We read this in Genesis 25-27. to 27. And uh, and it says there, The Lord said to Rebekah, Two nations are in your womb, and two people from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other, and the older, which is Esau, shall serve the younger, Jacob. So Jacob's name was changed to Esau, and Es... Sorry. Jacob's name was changed to Israel, and Esau's name was changed to Edom, and this is where the nation of Edom has come from. And these two nations um, in the womb um, became the nations of Israel and Edom, but they're also representative of all people. Israel represents those who are part of God's kingdom, who have submitted to His rule and His reign, and Edom represents those who are not. And so... um, in Isaiah's time, Edom was a neighbor to Israel. They were a country to the southeast of Israel, and um, there was animosity between Israel and Edom right throughout history, up to this point. Uh, Jacob and Esau themselves actually um, interacted quite peaceably to one another, but their their descendants, who became these nations, um, were, were quite uh, quite lived in quite animosity. Um, so, Numbers chapter 20, verses 14 to 20, records for us the interaction between Moses, the leader of the Israelites, and the king of Edom. Moses had asked if he could pass through their land. Um, he was not, not going to leave the highway. He was even offering to pay for water they took for their livestock. But Edom refused to come out um uh, Edom refused to let them go through, and he came out with a massive army to turn Moses back. Israel and Edom had enormous tensions throughout history, throughout the centuries. Many of the kings of Israel um, fought against Edom over the years. And then a century after Isaiah's time here, Edom actually played a role in Jerusalem's fall when the Babylonians came in 586 BC. Edom took advantage of them and plundered the Israelites and captured and killed Uh, and took many of them as refugees. Um, There's several places in the Bible that speak of this. One is in Psalm 137, where it says, Remember, O Lord, against the Edomites, the day of Jerusalem, how they said, Lay it bare, lay it bare, down to its foundations. And God held Edom accountable for their sin. And um, as I mentioned before, throughout the Bible, Edom's rebellion against Yahweh is, is actually representative of all the nations, and Obadiah is um, the smallest book in the Old Testament with just one chapter. Um, and it speaks most directly about the nation of, of Eden, the whole chapter. Basically, the whole book is, is talking about Eden. Um, I won't go through all of uh, Obadiah now, but if, if you have a chance, it would be good to read through it. It's very short. The first 14 verses uh, are, are an accusation against the leaders and the, uh, of of Edom, for their pride and their self-exaltation. They didn't just stand idly, but they participated in the destruction of Israel. Uh, As they did to Israel, it will be done to them, so Obadiah says. And then in verse 15 of Obadiah, it shifts from Edom to all nations. And then verse uh, verse 16 to 21, the the day of the Lord uh, against all nations. So it says all the proud nations will fall, their proud heights will come to ruin. Uh, Edom is an example, uh, an image if you like, of the pride of all nations. Edom and Adam are almost the same Hebrew word as well. Um, Adam being the first human. uh, God will one day oppose all pride and all violence of all the nations and all people. So Edom here is representative of all the nations representative of Adam, Adam and, uh, and human nature. Basically, human nature is to rebel against God, to ignore God, to go our own way. And uh, Edom is representative of that. So as we continue to read uh, through Isaiah here, let us remember that it's not just talking about Edom, but Edom is representative of all the nations in this um, day of the Lord. So from verse 6, We read, The Lord has a sword, and it is sated with blood, is gorged with fat, and the blood of lambs and goats, with the fat of the kidneys of rams. For the Lord has a sacrifice in Bosra, a great slaughter in the land of Edom. Wild oxen shall fall with them, and young steers with the mighty bulls. Their lamb shall drink its fill of blood, and the soil shall be gorged with fat. The the terrible language here is is language of sacrifice. It's important to note that in in the covenant system of sacrifice, the people were to sacrifice animals to Yahweh. The priests would eat the meat, but the blood and the fat were for Yahweh. They were not allowed to eat the blood and the fat. The, The point here is that God alone has the right to judge. It's He who knows what each one deserves. How often do we want to be the judge of others? It's only right that God judges because He sees and knows everything. And He is perfectly righteous. So He is the only one that can judge and it's His right. We move on. Verse 8. For the Lord has a day of vengeance, a year of recompense for the cause of Zion. And the streams of Eden will be turned into pitch into a soil, into sulphur. Her land shall become burning pitch. Night and day it shall not be quenched. Its smoke shall go up forever. From generation to generation it shall lie waste. None shall pass through it forever. These these verses are, are terrifying. a terrifying picture of God's righteous wrath. And they conjure up images of the judgment against Sodom and Gomorrah. See, God has... has throughout history up to this point has uh, been the judge and and we see that throughout the Bible. We see it with Noah uh, and God flooded the whole earth and destroyed everything. Um, These images here of of sulfur uh, conjure up images of Sodom and Gomorrah a thousand years before when God rescued righteous Lot uh, and his family from just a city of, of terrible perversity and wickedness. Uh, You can read about that in Genesis 19. Um, And as Steve Messer said to us last week, um, singing or sulphur are the the options. And there's the same options here in chapter 34 and 35. Uh, God's judgment in sulphur or singing, uh, coming to God in praise and thanking Him for what He's done. These are the two options presented here. Read from verses 11. But the hawk and the porcupine shall possess it. The owl and the raven shall dwell in it. He shall stretch the line of confusion over it and the plumb line of emptiness. Its nobles, there's no one to call it a kingdom, and all its princes shall be nothing. Thorns shall grow over its strongholds, nettles and thistles in its fortresses. It shall be a haunt of jackals an abode of ostriches. Wild animals shall meet with hyenas and wild goats shall cry to his fellow. Indeed, there the night bird settles and finds for herself a resting place. There the owl nests and lays and hatches and gathers her young in her shadow. Indeed, there the hawks are gathered, each one with her mate. Seek and read from the book of the Lord. Not one of these shall be missing. None shall be without her mate. For the mouth of the Lord has commanded and his spirit has gathered them. He has cast the lot for them. His hand has portioned it out to them with the line. They shall possess it, possess it for ever from generation to generation, they shall dwell in it. The eternal consequences here are seen in the devastation of the land, where only the animals can find a home to rest. A bit like uh, you know the bushfires that we had earlier in the year, uh, it just decimates everything, and then uh, you start to see the, the, the animals settling and coming back to find a home. Um, after the people have fled that that's that's the imagery here it's, it's complete desolation um, but god is still caring for for uh, his creation even even still and um, those those last few verses that we read from verse uh, 16 to 17 here it says um, the mouth of the lord has commanded it is spirit his spirit has gathered them he has cast the lot for them. His hand has portioned it out. You know, this, this speaks of God's certainty of what God is going to do. By His word He speaks. Through His Spirit He acts. It will come about. There will be judgment. Uh, you know what, what whatever evil you find in the world, it will be judged. God is the judge. Yes, he's waiting, he's waiting patiently, but there will come a day of judgment. And in verse seventeen there indicates that the judgment is final. You know, it says from generation to generation. And this is this is the final judgment. This is not like uh you know, think of the George Pell case where um he was he was trialed and he was convicted uh unanimously by the, the jury back in December 2018, six years in prison and then the uh, twenty first of august twenty nineteen, um the 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 High Court made a, a judgment um to, to revoke that and to release him from prison. Um and you know and there's still debate about George Powell and was he guilty or not. And um God knows. You know, sometimes the our own justice um systems, you know, they get things wrong or they um, they change their mind. New evidence comes in. Yahweh, who sees everything exactly as it happens, he he doesn't have to piece together the sketchy pieces of eyewitness account, you know, that might have happened decades ago. He knows the facts perfectly, and he also is perfect in character, so he he's able to make the perfect judgment. And um, so, I guess the question is, how would the perfect judge? How would the Creator of all things, how would I be judged by Him? How would you be judged? I don't even live up to my own standards of goodness, let alone the standards of a holy God. So we've seen in chapter 34 that Yahweh's judgment is final, but Judgment is never God's final word and that's what we see in chapter 35. We see the restoration of God's kingdom over Jerusalem and over all nations. So let's read chapter 35. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They they shall see the the glory of the Lord the majesty of our God. All of a sudden, here the desert comes to live, life. The environment is restored. Uh, Lebanon was a forest of tall cedar trees. In fact, the flag of Lebanon today has a cedar on it. Carmel was a mountain. Um, today, it's a national park. You can go camping, or bushwalking there. Sharon was a plain, a beautiful plain on the Mediterranean coast, um, and parts of it. Were quite fertile. Today, it's it's the most it's mostly populated. Tel Aviv um, is on on that plain. This speaks of the the end of the reign of sin and and the reversal of the curse. The the environment here that was decimated is destroyed. Um, the we read on verse um, uh, verse three. Strengthen, sorry. Um, The end of chapter 2 there, They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Now we're not told who they are until later. In verse 8 we're told that they are those who walk on the way. In verse 10 we're told they are the redeemed of the Lord. Um, But we're not told at this point. But this is a remarkable statement, that humans will see the glory and the majesty of the Lord. Moses saw the back of God as he passed by him, uh, from a cleft in the rock, but he couldn't see the face of God. This is speaking about a time when people will see God in all of his fullness. You know, people often say, if God exists, why doesn't he show himself? <laughs> well, if God were to show himself to you or me, well, if we were to see him face to face, that would be the end of us. You know, everything that is good is in God. If you think about the best thing in this world, that is God's character. You know, there's much evil in this world. There's evil and good, but the, the embodiment of everything good is in God. He's perfectly holy, and so to see His glory is is something that uh, is just um, so amazing and wonderful uh, that that we can't experience fully in this life going on to verse 3 strengthen the weak hands make feeble make firm the feeble knees say to those who have an anxious heart be strong fear not behold your god will come with vengeance with the recompense of god he will come and save you fear and anxiety begin in the heart here those who have an anxious heart i remember a dream i used to have when i was a kid and i'd be uh, i'd be There'd be someone uh, coming to the door. It'd be dark. The door would be locked, and the, I could, you know, perhaps see through the window someone coming. The door was unlocked, and I could see someone coming, and I was just desperate to get to the door to lock the door before this intruder could come in and and, and come and, and get me. Uh, and, and my heart would pound, and and my legs wouldn't move, and my hands, I I just couldn't get there. For some reason I was frozen, and this is the, the image here. Uh, you know, When you're afraid, your heart beats fast, your knees knock together, you become weak and sweaty, you can't run and do anything. Um, but we're told to fear because God will come with vengeance. Now, that's strange because all of chapter 34 we read... Sorry, we're told not to fear... Um, because God will come with vengeance. All throughout chapter 34 we're we're told how terrible God's vengeance will be for the nations when He comes. Um, This is not a, you know, she'll be right mate kind of don't fear. This is not saying don't worry about your sin and its effects. It's addressed to those who are fearful and anxious, knowing their own weakness. Knowing their own shame before a holy and righteous God, I um I love the the phrase that I heard the other day. Um, if you're gonna get if you're gonna call the garbo, you'd better get out of the wheelie bin. And uh, referring to this, uh, you know, God is the judge. If you're gonna call down judgment, then you better make sure that you're right uh, with the garbo. If you're gonna call the garbo, you gotta get out of the wheelie bin. And and this is consistent with the character of God revealed throughout the Bible. To those who continue in their rebellion, God is a terrifying, consuming fire. But to those who come to Him in faith, He is gentle and merciful as a good father to His wayward child who comes back to Him. He will come to save you, it says here. That points to none other than Jesus Christ, 700 years after Isaiah wrote this. Um, Jesus said something similar in Matthew 11:28, 28, um, speaking to our fears. Come to me, you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. For those of faith in the Lord Jesus, the coming vengeance spoken has already been dealt out. You know, maybe you think God, God's not going to bring vengeance. Well, just look at Isaiah 53, which speaks of of uh, the, the the crushing the Lord's will to crush Jesus referring to Jesus' death on the cross. so you either you either accept God's vengeance against his son in place of your own punishment or his vengeance will come upon you and his salvation is a gift of grace it's been paid for it's simply to be accepted in faith. We keep going on in verse 5. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf, deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. Um, So looking at verses 5 and 6 here, these verses speak of God's future reign and rule. When the effects of the curse are undone. An everlasting life is experienced by the subjects of God's kingdom. They're a wonderful, a wonderful background to the future redemption of the body. Yeah, Jesus did these kind of miracles uh, and healings in his time on earth, but even his healing miracles were just a taste, they were, they were temporary really, and they were a taste of the fullness of eternal life and the resurrected bodies that of those in his kingdom that we will enjoy um Jesus in his teaching on this said for they cannot die anymore because they are equal to angels and are sons of god being sons of the resurrection in Luke 20:36 Jesus says that when he's talking about uh resurrected people um, that that live dwell in heaven with him we go on there Um, Just the second half of verse 6, For the waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water in a haunt of jackals where they lie down. The grass shall become reeds and rushes. Not only is the healing of physical bodies and eternal life something in God's future kingdom, but Isaiah asks us to look forward to a day when the creation itself will be healed. It's it's like the transformation that's taken place uh, in many of the parts of Australia in the last 12 months. We we had terrible droughts, um, and the land was barren and dry, and and now um, dams are full, rivers are flowing, uh, grass is green. This is a wonderful transformation of the the whole of creation will be transformed. Uh, Isaac Watts says in that this wonderful um, song this Christmas carol, uh, George of the World, says, No more let sin and sorrows grow, nor nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow, far as the curse is found. So Isaiah here has given us this wonderful vision of Yahweh's kingdom, of a world that is new, healed and restored. Hands up if you want want to be a citizen in that kingdom. But then he tells us just who won't be there. He says there's a highway provided, but it's the way of holiness in verse 8, and no one unclean can pass over it, no wicked fools or ravenous beasts. It shall, uh, yeah, so no wicked, um, sorry, um, so verse 8, highway shall be there, it should be called the way of holiness, no unclean shall pass over it. Um, we go down to, to verse 10 and it says, "But the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to come with seeing to Zion. Um, and the redeemed, sorry in the second half of verse nine, the redeemed shall walk there. Only those who are ransomed, only those who have been brought back from their sinful, guilty, separated, separated from God's state. In uh, Revelation 5.9, there's a, another wonderful picture of this. and uh, It's it's looking to the, the throne uh, of God and of Christ Jesus. It says, they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you, this is just talking about Jesus, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation you know the ransomed don't have to go through the judgment of chapter 34 there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus those who accept God's gift of salvation God's gracious gift of salvation he will he has redeemed us and so what is the response the response is everlasting joy, singing gratitude to the one who has redeemed them. Let's have a look in the last few verses there from second half of uh, verse 10. The ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing shall flee away wonderful picture of singing praises to the Redeemer. In the words of Fanny Fanny Crosby, I came across this uh, beautiful hymn, Redeemed how I love to proclaim it, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, redeemed through His infinite mercy, His child and forever I am. Everlasting consequences of judgment are seen here and everlasting joy and eternal life. We've got two sides of the same coin. Which side represents you? Which way are you going in life? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Lord, we we don't like to read this terrible passage of judgment, we don't like to think about it. But Lord, it is a reality. You are a holy God and You will punish all evil. And we thank You, Lord, that You are also a gracious and merciful God. And Lord, we pray that You will continue to work in us a desire to see your kingdom come. We pray that our hearts may be devoted to you in singing, singing praise to you, our great Redeemer. Father, we come before you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.